Section 19 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 10, Part 1. In his anxiety to bring things to a finish, Pierre wished to begin his campaign on the very next day but on whom should he first call if he were to steer clear of blunders in that intricate and conceited ecclesiastical world the question greatly perplexed him however on opening his door that morning he luckily perceived don vigilio in the passage and with a sudden inspiration asked him to step inside he realized that this thin little man with the saffron face who always trembled with fever and displayed such exaggerated timorous discretion was in reality well informed mixed up in everything at one period it had seemed to pierre that the secretary purposely avoided him doubtless for fear of compromising himself but recently don vigilio had proved less unsociable as though he were not far from sharing the impatience which must be consuming the young frenchman amidst his long enforced inactivity and so on this occasion he did not seek to avoid the chat on which pierre was bent i must apologize said the latter for asking you in here when things are in such disorder but i have just received some more linen and some winter clothing from paris i came you know with just a little valise meaning to stay for a fortnight and yet i have now been here for nearly three months and am no more advanced than i was on the morning of my arrival don vigilio nodded yes yes i know said he thereupon pierre explained to him that monsignor nani had informed him through the contesina that he now ought to act and see everybody for the defence of his book but he was much embarrassed as he did not know in what order to make his visits so that they might benefit him for instance ought he call in the first place on monsignor fornaro the consultore selected to report on his book and whose name had been given him ah exclaimed don vigilio quivering has monsignor nani gone as far as that given you the reporter's name that's even more than i expected then forgetting his prudence yielding to his secret interest in the affair he resumed no no don't begin with monsignor fornaro your first visit should be a very humble one to the prefect of the congregation of the index his eminence cardinal sanguinetti for he would never forgive you for having offered your first homage to another should he some day hear of it and after a pause don vigilio added in a low voice amidst a faint feverish shiver and he would hear of it everything becomes known again he hesitated and then as if yielding to sudden sympathetic courage he took hold of the young frenchman's hands i swear to you my dear monsieur Fromont, he said that i should be very happy to help you for you are a man of simple soul and i really begin to feel worried for you but you must not ask me for impossibilities ah if you only knew if i could only tell you of all the perils which surround us however i think i can repeat to you that you must in no wise rely on my patron his eminence cardinal bocanero he has expressed absolute disapproval of your book in my presence on several occasions only he is a saint a most worthy honourable man and though he won't defend you he won't attack you he will remain neutral out of regard for his niece whom he loves so dearly and who protects you so when you see him don't plead your cause it would be of no avail and might even irritate him pierre was not particularly distressed by this news for at his first interview with the cardinal and on the few subsequent occasions when he had respectfully visited him he had fully understood that his eminence would never be other than an adversary 
well said he i will wait on him to thank him for his neutrality but at this all don vigilio's terrors returned no no don't do that you would perhaps realize that i have spoken to you and then what a disaster my position would be compromised i've said nothing nothing see the cardinals to begin with see all the cardinals let it be understood between us that i've said nothing more and on that occasion at any rate don vigilio would speak no further but left the room shuddering and darting fiery suspicious glances on either side of the corridor pierre at once went out to call on cardinal sanguinetti it was ten o'clock and there was a chance that he might find him at home this cardinal resided on the first floor of a little palazzo in a dark narrow street near san luigi dei francesi there was here none of the giant ruin full of princely and melancholy grandeur amidst which cardinal bocanera so stubbornly remained the old regulation gala suite of rooms had been cut down just like the number of servants there was no throne room no red hat hanging under a baldacchino no armchair turned to the wall pending a visit from the pope a couple of apartments served as anterooms and then came a salon where the cardinal received and there was no luxury indeed scarcely any comfort the furniture was of mahogany dating from the empire period and the hangings and carpets were dusty and faded by long use moreover pierre had to wait a long time for admittance and when a servant leisurely putting on his jacket at last set the door ajar it was only to say that his eminence had been away at frascati since the previous day pierre then remembered that cardinal sanguinetti was one of the suburban bishops at his see of frascati he had a villa where he occasionally spent a few days whenever a desire for rest or some political motive impelled him to do so and will his eminence soon return pierre inquired ah we don't know his eminence is poorly and expressly desired us to send nobody to worry him when pierre reached the street again he felt quite bewildered by this disappointment at first he wondered whether he had not better call on monsignor fornaro without more ado but he recollected don vigilio's advice to see the cardinals first of all and an inspiration coming to him he resolved that his next visit should be for cardinal sarno whose acquaintance he had eventually made at donna serafina's mondays in spite of cardinal sarno's voluntary self-effacement people looked upon him as one of the most powerful and redoubtable members of the sacred college albeit his nephew narcisse Albert, declared that he knew no man who showed more obtuseness in matters which did not pertain to his habitual occupations at all events pierre thought that the cardinal although not a member of the congregation of the index might well give him some good advice and possibly bring his great influence to bear on his colleagues the young man straightway betook himself to the palace of the propaganda where he knew he would find the cardinal this palace which is seen from the piazza di spagna is a bare massive corner pile between two streets and pierre hampered by his faulty italian quite lost himself in it climbing to floors whence he had to descend again and finding himself in a perfect labyrinth of stairs passages and halls at last he luckily came across the cardinal's secretary an amiable young priest whom he had already seen at the bocanera mansion why yes said the secretary i think that his eminence will receive you you did well to come at this hour for he is always here of a morning kindly follow me if you please then came a fresh journey cardinal sarno long a secretary of the propaganda now presided over the commission which controlled the organization of worship in those countries of europe africa america and oceania where catholicism had lately gained a footing 
and he thus had a private room of his own with special officers and assistants reigning there with the ultra-methodical habits of a functionary who had grown old in his armchair closely surrounded by nests of drawers and knowing nothing of the world save the usual sights of the street below his window the secretary left pierre on a bench at the end of a dark passage which was lighted by gas even in full daylight and quite a quarter of an hour went by before he returned with his eager affable air his eminence is conferring with some missionaries who are about to leave rome he said but it will soon be over and he told me to take you to his room where you can wait for him as soon as pierre was alone in the cardinal's sanctum he examined it with curiosity fairly spacious but in no wise luxurious it had green paper on its walls and its furniture was of black wood and green damask from two windows overlooking a narrow side street a mournful light reached the dark wallpaper and faded carpets there were a couple of pier tables and a plain black writing-table which stood near one window its worn moleskin covering littered with all sorts of papers pierre drew near to it for a moment and glanced at the armchair with damaged sunken seat the screen which sheltered it from draughts and the old inkstand splotched with ink and then in the lifeless and oppressive atmosphere the disquieting silence which only the low rumbles from the street disturbed he began to grow impatient however whilst he was softly walking up and down he suddenly espied a map affixed to one wall and the sight of it filled him with such absorbing thoughts that he soon forgot everything else it was a coloured map of the world the different tints indicating whether the territories belonged to victorious catholicism or whether catholicism was still warring there against unbelief these last countries being classified as vicariates or prefectures according to the general principles of organization and the whole was a graphic presentment of the long efforts of catholicism in striving for the universal dominion which it has sought so unremittingly since its earliest hour god has given the world to his church but it is needful that she should secure possession of it since error so stubbornly abides from this has sprung the eternal battle the fight which is carried on even in our days to win nations over from other religions as it was in the days when the apostles quitted judea to spread abroad the tidings of the gospel during the middle ages the great task was to organize conquered europe and this was too absorbing an enterprise to allow of any attempt at reconciliation with the dissident churches of the east then the reformation burst forth schism was added to schism and the protestant half of europe had to be reconquered as well as all the orthodox east warlike ardour however awoke at the discovery of the new world rome was ambitious of securing that other side of the earth and missions were organized for the subjection of races of which nobody had known anything the day before but which god had nevertheless given to his church like all the others and by degrees the two great divisions of christianity were formed on one hand the catholic nations those where the faith simply had to be kept up and which the secretariat of state installed at the vatican guided with sovereign authority and on the other the schismatical or pagan nations which were to be brought back to the fold or converted and over which the congregation of the propaganda sought to reign then this congregation had been obliged to divide itself into two branches in order to facilitate its work the oriental branch which dealt with the dissident sects of the east and the latin branch whose authority extended over all the other lands of mission the two forming a vast organization a huge strong closely meshed net cast over the whole world in order that not a single soul might escape 
it was in the presence of that map that pierre for the first time became clearly conscious of the mechanism which for centuries had been working to bring about the absorption of humanity the propaganda richly dowered by the popes and disposing of a considerable revenue appeared to him like a separate force a papacy within the papacy and he well understood that the prefect of the congregation should be called the red pope for how limitless were the powers of that man of conquest and domination whose hands stretched from one to the other end of the earth allowing that the cardinal secretary held europe that diminutive portion of the globe did not he the prefect hold all the rest the infinity of space the distant countries as yet almost unknown besides statistics showed that rome's uncontested dominion was limited to two hundred millions of apostolic and roman catholics whereas the schismatics of the east and the reformation if added together already exceeded that number and how small became the minority of the true believers when besides the schismatics one brought into line the one thousand millions of infidels who yet remained to be converted the figures struck pierre with a force which made him shudder what there were five million jews nearly two hundred million mohammedans more than seven hundred million brahmanists and buddhists without counting another one hundred million pagans of diverse creeds the whole making one thousand millions and against these the christians could marshal barely more than four hundred millions who were divided among themselves ever in conflict one half with rome and the other half against her was it possible that in one thousand eight hundred years christianity had not proved victorious over even one-third of mankind and that rome the eternal and all-powerful only counted a sixth part of the nations among her subjects only one soul saved out of every six how fearful was the disproportion however the map spoke with brutal eloquence the red-tinted empire of rome was but a speck when compared with the yellow-hued empire of the other gods the endless countries which the propaganda still had to conquer and the question arose how many centuries must elapse before the promises of the christ were realized before the whole world were gained to christianity before religious society spread over secular society and there remained but one kingdom and one belief and in presence of this question in presence of the prodigious labor yet to be accomplished how great was one's astonishment when one thought of rome's tranquil serenity her patient stubbornness which has never known doubt or weariness her bishops and ministers toiling without cessation in the conviction that she alone will some day be mistress of the world narcisse had told pierre how carefully the embassies at rome watched the doings of the propaganda for the missions were often the instruments of one or another nation and exercised decisive influence in faraway lands and so there was a continual struggle in which the congregation did all it could to favour the missionaries of italy and her allies it had always been jealous of its french rival l'oeuvre de la propagation de la foi installed at lyon which is as wealthy in money as itself and richer in men of energy and courage however not content with levelling tribute on this french association the propaganda thwarted it sacrificed it on every occasion when it had reason to think it might achieve a victory not once or twice but over and over again had the french missionaries the french orders been driven from the scenes of their labours to make way for italians or germans and pierre standing in that mournful dusty room which the sunlight never brightened pictured the secret hotbed of political intrigue masked by the civilizing ardor of faith again he shuddered as one shudders when monstrous terrifying things are brought home to one and might not the most sensible be overcome might not the bravest be dismayed by the thought of that universal engine of conquest and domination 
which worked with the stubbornness of eternity not merely content with the gain of souls but ever seeking to ensure its future sovereignty over the whole of corporeal humanity and pending the time when it might rule the nations itself disposing of them handing them over to the charge of this or that temporary master in accordance with its good pleasure and then too what a prodigious dream rome smiling and tranquilly awaiting the day when she will have united christians mohammedans brahmanists and buddhists into one sole nation of whom she will be both the spiritual and the temporal queen however a sound of coughing made pierre turn and he started on perceiving cardinal sarno whom he had not heard enter standing in front of that map he felt like one caught in the act of prying into a secret and a deep flush overspread his face the cardinal however after looking at him fixedly with his dim eyes went to his writing-table and let himself drop into the armchair without saying a word with a gesture he dispensed pierre of the duty of kissing his ring i desired to offer my homage to your eminence said the young man is your eminence unwell no no it's nothing but a dreadful cold which i can't get rid of and then too i have so many things to attend to just now pierre looked at the cardinal as he appeared in the livid light from the window puny lopsided with the left shoulder higher than the right and not a sign of life on his worn and ashen countenance the young priest was reminded of one of his uncles who after thirty years spent in the offices of a french public department displayed the same lifeless glance parchment-like skin and weary habitation was it possible that this withered old man so lost in his black cassock with red edging was really one of the masters of the world with the map of christendom so deeply stamped on his mind albeit he had never left rome that the prefect of the propaganda did not take a decision without asking his opinion sit down monsieur l'abbé said the cardinal so you have come to see me you have something to ask of me and whilst disposing himself to listen he stretched out his thin bony hands to finger the documents heaped up before him glancing at each of them like some general some strategist profoundly versed in the science of his profession who although his army is far away nevertheless directs it to victory from his private room never for a moment allowing it to escape his mind pierre was somewhat embarrassed by such a plain enunciation of the interested object of his visit still he decided to go to the point yes indeed he answered it is a liberty i have taken to come and appeal to your eminence's wisdom for advice your eminence is aware that i am in rome for the purpose of defending a book of mine and i should be grateful if your eminence would help and guide me then he gave a brief account of the present position of the affair and began to plead his cause but as he continued speaking he noticed that the cardinal gave him very little attention as though indeed he were thinking of something else and failed to understand ah yes the great man at last muttered you have written a book there was some question of it at donna serafina's one evening but a priest ought not to write it is a mistake for him to do so what is the good of it and the congregation of the index must certainly be in the right if it is prosecuting your book at all events what can i do i don't belong to the congregation and i know nothing nothing about the matter pierre pained at finding him so listless and indifferent went on trying to enlighten him and move him but he realized that this man's mind so far reaching and penetrating in the field in which it had worked for forty years closed up as soon as one sought to divert it from its speciality it was neither an inquisitive nor a supple mind all trace of life faded from the cardinal's eyes and his entire countenance assumed an expression of mournful imbecility 
i know nothing nothing he repeated and i never recommend anybody however at last he made an effort but nanny is mixed up in this said he what does nanny advise you to do monsignor nanny has been kind enough to reveal to me that the reporter is monsignor fornaro and advises me to see him at this cardinal sarno seemed surprised and somewhat roused a little light returned to his eyes ah really he rejoined ah really well if nanny has done that he must have some idea go and see monsignor fornaro then after rising and dismissing his visitor who was compelled to thank him bowing deeply he resumed his seat and a moment later the only sound in the lifeless room was that of his bony fingers turning over the documents before him pierre in all docility followed the advice given him and immediately betook himself to the piazza navona where however he learned from one of monsignor fornaro's servants that the prelate had just gone out and that to find him at home it was necessary to call in the morning at ten o'clock accordingly it was only on the following day that pierre was able to obtain an interview he had previously made inquiries and knew what was necessary concerning monsignor fornaro born at naples he had there begun his studies under the barnabites had finished them at the seminario romano and had subsequently for many years been a professor at the università gregoriana nowadays consulted to several congregations and a canon of santa maria maggiore he placed his immediate ambition in a canonry at st peter's and harboured the dream of some day becoming secretary of the consistorial congregation a post conducting to the cardinalate a theologian of remarkable ability monsignor fornaro incurred no other reproach than that of occasionally sacrificing to literature by contributing articles which he carefully abstained from signing to certain religious reviews he was also said to be very worldly pierre was received as soon as he had sent in his card and perhaps he would have fancied that his visit was expected had not an appearance of sincere surprise blended with a little anxiety marked his reception monsieur l'abbé fromont monsieur l'abbé fromont repeated the prelate looking at the card which he still held kindly step in i was about to forbid my door for i have some urgent work to attend to but no matter sit down pierre however remained standing quite charmed by the blooming appearance of this tall strong handsome man who although five-and-forty years of age was quite fresh and rosy with moist lips caressing eyes and scarcely a grey hair among his curly locks nobody more fascinating and decorative could be found among the whole roman prelacy careful of his person undoubtedly and aiming at a simple elegance he looks really superb in his black cassock with violet collar and around him the spacious room where he received his visitors gaily lighted as it was by two large windows facing the piazza navona and furnished with a taste nowadays seldom met with among the roman clergy diffused a pleasant odour and formed a setting instinct with kindly cheerfulness pray sit down monsieur l'abbé fromont he resumed and tell me to what i am indebted for the honour of your visit he had already recovered his self-possession and assumed a naif purely obliging air and pierre though the question was only natural and he ought to have foreseen it suddenly felt greatly embarrassed more embarrassed indeed than in cardinal sarno's presence should he go to the point at once confess the delicate motive of his visit a moment's reflection showed him that this would be the best and worthier course dear me monseigneur he replied i know very well that the step i have taken in calling on you is not usually taken but it has been advised me 
and it has seemed to me that among honest folks there can never be any harm in seeking in all good faith to elucidate the truth what is it what is it then asked the prelate with an expression of perfect candour and still continuing to smile well simply this i have learnt that the congregation of the index has handed you my book new rome and appointed you to examine it and i have ventured to present myself before you in case you should have any explanations to ask of me but monsignor fornaro seemed unwilling to hear any more he had carried both hands to his head and drawn back albeit still courteous no no said he don't tell me that don't continue you would grieve me dreadfully let us say if you like that you have been deceived for nothing ought to be known in fact nothing is known either by others or myself i pray you do not let us talk of such matters pierre however had fortunately remarked what a decisive effect was produced when he had occasion to mention the name of the assessor of the holy office so it occurred to him to reply i most certainly do not desire to give you the slightest cause for embarrassment monseigneur and i repeat to you that i would never have ventured to importune you if monsignor nani himself had not acquainted me with your name and address this time the effect was immediate though monsignor fornaro with that easy grace which he introduced into all things made some ceremony about surrendering he began by a demurrer speaking archly with subtle shades of expression what is monsignor nani the tattler but i shall scold him i shall get angry with him and what does he know he doesn't belong to the congregation he may have been led into error you must tell him that he has made a mistake and that i have nothing at all to do with your affair that will teach him not to reveal needful secrets which everybody respects then in a pleasant way with winning glance and flowery lips he went on come since monsignor nani desires it i am willing to chat with you for a moment my dear monsieur Fromont, but on condition that you shall know nothing of my report or of what may have been said or done at the congregation pierre in his turn smiled admiring how easy things became when forms were respected and appearances saved and once again he began to explain his case the profound astonishment into which the prosecution of his book had thrown him and his ignorance of the objections which were taken to it and for which he had vainly sought a cause really really repeated the prelate quite amazed at so much innocence the congregation is a tribunal and can only act when a case is brought before it proceedings have been taken against your book simply because it has been denounced yes i know denounced of course complaint was laid by three french bishops whose names you will allow me to keep secret and it consequently became necessary for the congregation to examine the incriminated work pierre looked at him quite scared denounced by three bishops why with what object then he thought of his protector but cardinal bergerot said he wrote me a letter of approval which i placed at the beginning of my work as a preface ought not a guarantee like that to have been sufficient for the french episcopacy monsignor fornaro wagged his head in a knowing way before making up his mind to reply ah yes no doubt his eminence's letter a very beautiful letter i think however that it would have been much better if he had not written it both for himself and for you especially then as the priest whose surprise was increasing opened his mouth to urge him to explain himself he went on no no i know nothing i say nothing his eminence cardinal bergerot is a saintly man whom everybody venerates and if it were possible for him to sin it would only be through pure goodness of heart 
silence fell pierre could divine that an abyss was opening and dared not insist however he at last resumed with some violence but after all why should my book be prosecuted and the books of others be left untouched i have no intention of acting as a denouncer myself but how many books are there to which rome closes her eyes and which are far more dangerous than mine can be this time monsignor fornaro seemed glad to be able to support pierre's view you are right said he we cannot deal with every bad book and it greatly distresses us but you must remember what an incalculable number of works we should be compelled to read and so we have to content ourselves with condemning the worst en bloc then he complacently entered into explanations in principle no printer ought to send any work to press without having previously submitted the manuscript to the approval of the bishop of the diocese nowadays however with the enormous output of the printing trade one could understand how terribly embarrassed the bishops would be if the printers were suddenly to conform to the church's regulation there was neither the time nor the money nor were there the men necessary for such colossal labour and so the congregation of the index condemned en masse without examination all works of certain categories first books which were dangerous for morals all erotic writings and all novels next the various bibles in the vulgar tongue for the perusal of holy writ without discretion was not allowable then the books on magic and sorcery and all works on science history or philosophy that were in any way contrary to dogma as well as the writings of heresiarchs or mere ecclesiastics discussing religion which should never be discussed all these were wise laws made by different popes and were set forth in the preface to the catalogue of forbidden books which the congregation published and without them this catalogue to have been complete would in itself have formed a large library on turning it over one found that the works singled out for interdiction were chiefly those of priests the task being so vast and difficult that rome's concern extended but little beyond the observance of good order within the church and pierre and his book came within the limit you will understand continued monsignor fornaro that we have no desire to advertise a heap of unwholesome writings by honouring them with special condemnation their name is legion in every country and we should have neither enough paper nor enough ink to deal with them all so we content ourselves with condemning one from time to time when it bears a famous name and makes too much noise or contains disquieting attacks on the faith this suffices to remind the world that we exist and defend ourselves without abandoning aught of our rights or duties but my book my book exclaimed pierre why are these proceedings against my book i am explaining that to you as far as it is allowable for me to do my dear monsieur Froment. you are a priest your book is a success you have published a cheap edition of it which sells very readily and i don't speak of its literary merit which is remarkable for it contains a breath of real poetry which transported me and on which i must really compliment you however under the circumstances which i have enumerated how could we close our eyes to such a work as yours in which the conclusion arrived at is the annihilation of our holy religion and the destruction of rome pierre remained open-mouthed suffocating with surprise the destruction of rome he at last exclaimed but i desire to see rome rejuvenated eternal again the queen of the world and once more mastered by his glowing enthusiasm he defended himself and confessed his faith catholicism reverting to the principles and practices of the primitive church drawing the blood of regeneration from the fraternal christianity of jesus the pope freed from all terrestrial royalty governing the whole of humanity with charity and love 
and saving the world from the frightful social cataclysm that threatens it by leading it to the real kingdom of god the christian communion of all nations united in one nation only and can the holy father disavow me he continued are not these his secret ideas which people are beginning to divine and does not my only offence lie in having expressed them perhaps too soon and too freely and if i were allowed to see him should i not at once obtain from him an order to stop these proceedings monsignor fornaro no longer spoke but wagged his head without appearing offended by the priest's juvenile ardour on the contrary he smiled with increasing amiability as though highly amused by so much innocence and imagination at last he gaily responded oh speak on speak on it isn't i who will stop you i am forbidden to say anything but the temporal power the temporal power well what of the temporal power asked pierre the prelate had again become silent raising his amiable face to heaven and waving his white hands with a pretty gesture and when he once more opened his mouth it was to say then there's your new religion for the expression occurs twice the new religion the new religion ah dio again he became restless going off into an ecstasy of wonderment at sight of which pierre impatiently exclaimed i do not know what your report will be monseigneur but i declare to you that i have had no desire to attack dogma and candidly now my whole book shows that i only sought to write a work of pity and salvation it is only justice that some account should be taken of one's intentions monsignor fornaro had become very calm and paternal again oh intentions intentions he said as he rose to dismiss his visitor you may be sure my dear monsieur Fromont, that i feel much honoured by your visit naturally i cannot tell you what my report will be as it is we have talked too much about it and in fact i ought to have refused to listen to your defence at the same time you will always find me ready to be of service to you in anything that does not go against my duty but i greatly fear that your book will be condemned and then as pierre again started he added well yes it is facts that are judged you know not intentions so all defence is useless the book is there and we take it such as it is however much you try to explain it you cannot alter it and this is why the congregation never calls the accused parties before it and never accepts from them aught but retraction pure and simple and indeed the wisest course for you would be to withdraw your book and make your submission no you won't ah how young you are my friend he laughed yet more loudly at the gesture of revolt of indomitable pride which had just escaped his young friend as he called him then on reaching the door he again threw off some of his reserve and said in a low voice come my dear abbe there is something i will do for you i will give you some good advice at bottom i myself am nothing i deliver my report and it is printed and the members of the congregation read it but are quite free to pay no attention to it however the secretary of the congregation father d'angelis can accomplish everything even impossibilities go to see him you'll find him at the dominican convent behind the piazza di spagna don't name me and for the present good-bye my dear fellow good-bye pierre once more found himself on the piazza nabona quite dazed no longer knowing what to believe or hope a cowardly idea was coming over him why should he continue this struggle in which his adversaries remained unknown and indiscernible why carry obstinacy any further why linger any longer in that impassionating but deceptive rome 
he would flee that very evening return to paris disappear there and forget his bitter disillusion in the practice of humble charity he was traversing one of those hours of weakness when the long dreamt of task suddenly seems to be an impossibility however amidst his great confusion he was nevertheless walking on going towards his destination and when he found himself in the corso then in the via dei condotti and finally in the piazza di spagna he resolved that he would at any rate see father d'angelis the dominican convent is there just below the trinità dei monti ah those dominicans pierre had never thought of them without a feeling of respect with which mingled a little fear what vigorous pillars of the principle of authority and theocracy they had for centuries proved themselves to be to them the church had been indebted for its greatest measure of authority they were the glorious soldiers of its triumph whilst st francis won the souls of the humble over to rome st dominic on rome's behalf subjected all the superior souls those of the intelligent and powerful and this he did with passion amidst a blaze of faith and determination making use of all possible means preachings writings and police and judicial pressure though he did not found the inquisition its principles were his and it was with fire and sword that his fraternal loving heart waged war on schism living like his monks in poverty chastity and obedience the great virtues of those times of pride and licentiousness he went from city to city exhorting the impious striving to bring them back to the church and arraigning them before the ecclesiastical courts when his preachings did not suffice he also laid siege to science sought to make it his own dreamt of defending god with the weapons of reason and human knowledge like a true forerunner of the angelic saint thomas that light of the middle ages who joined the dominican order and set everything in his summa theologiae psychology logic policy and morals and thus it was that the dominicans filled the world upholding the doctrines of rome in the most famous pulpits of every nation and contending almost everywhere against the free spirit of the universities like the vigilant guardians of dogma that they were the unwearying artisans of the fortunes of the popes the most powerful amongst all the artistic scientific and literary workers who raised the huge edifice of catholicism such as it exists today however pierre who could feel that this edifice was even now tottering though it had been built people fancied so substantially as to last through all eternity asked himself what could be the present use of the dominicans those toilers of another age whose police system and whose tribunals had perished beneath universal execration whose voices were no longer listened to whose books were but seldom read and whose role as savants and civilizers had come to an end in the presence of latter-day science the truths of which were rending dogma on all sides certainly the dominicans still form an influential and prosperous order but how far is one from the times when their general reigned in rome master of the holy palace with convents and schools and subjects throughout europe of all their vast inheritance so far as the roman curia is concerned only a few posts now remain to them and among others the secretaryship of the congregation of the index a former dependency of the holy office where they once despotically ruled pierre was immediately ushered into the presence of father d'angelis the convent parlour was vast bare and white flooded with bright sunshine the only furniture was a table and some stools and a large brass crucifix hung from the wall near the table stood the father a very thin man of about fifty severely draped in his ample white habit and black mantle from his long ascetic face with thin lips thin nose and pointed obstinate chin his grey eyes shone out with a fixity that embarrassed one 
and moreover he showed himself very plain and simple of speech and frigidly polite in manner monsieur l'abbé fromont the author of new rome i suppose then seating himself on one stool and pointing to another he added pray acquaint me with the object of your visit monsieur l'abbé thereupon pierre had to begin his explanations his defence all over again and the task soon became the more painful as his words fell from his lips amidst death-like silence and frigidity father d'angelis did not stir with his hands crossed upon his knees he kept his sharp penetrating eyes fixed upon those of the priest and when the latter had at last ceased speaking he slowly said i did not like to interrupt you monsieur l'abbé but it was not for me to hear all this process against your book has begun and no power in the world can stay or impede its course i do not therefore realize what it is that you apparently expect of me in a quivering voice pierre was bold enough to answer i look for some kindness and justice a pale smile instinct with proud humility arose to the dominican's lips be without fear he replied god has ever deigned to enlighten me in the discharge of my modest duties personally be it said i have no justice to render i am but an employee whose duty is to classify matters and draw up documents concerning them their eminences the members of the congregation will alone pronounce judgment on your book and assuredly they will do so with the help of the holy spirit you will only have to bow to their sentence when it shall have been ratified by his holiness then he broke off the interview by rising and pierre was obliged to do the same the dominican's words were virtually identical with those that had fallen from monsignor fornaro but they were spoken with cutting frankness a sort of tranquil bravery on all sides pierre came into collision with the same anonymous force the same powerful engine whose component parts sought to ignore one another for a long time yet no doubt he would be sent from one to the other without ever finding the volitional element which reasoned and acted and the only thing that he could do was to bow to it all however before going off it occurred to him once more to mention the name of monsignor nani the powerful effect of which he had begun to realize i ask your pardon he said for having disturbed you to no purpose but i simply deferred to the kind advice of monsignor nani who has condescended to show me some interest the effect of these words was unexpected again did father d'angelis's thin face brighten into a smile but with a twist of the lips sharp with ironical contempt he had become yet paler than before and his keen intelligent eyes were flaming ah it was monsignor nani who sent you he said well if you think you need a protector it is useless for you to apply to any other than himself he is all-powerful go to see him go to see him and that was the only encouragement pierre derived from his visit the advice to go back to the man who had sent him at this he felt that he was losing ground and he resolved to return home in order to reflect on things and try to understand them before taking any further steps the idea of questioning don vigilio at once occurred to him and that same evening after supper he luckily met the secretary in the corridor just as candle in hand he was on his way to bed i have so many things that i should like to say to you pierre said to him can you kindly come to my rooms for a moment but the other promptly silenced him with a gesture and then whispered didn't you see abbe paparelli on the first floor he was following us i'm sure pierre often saw the train-bearer roaming about the house and greatly disliked his stealthy prying ways 
however he had hitherto attached no importance to him and was therefore much surprised by don vigilio's question the other without awaiting his reply had returned to the end of the corridor where for a long while he remained listening then he came back on tiptoe blew out his candle and darted into pierre's sitting-room there that's done he murmured directly the door was shut but if it is all the same to you we won't stop in this sitting-room let us go into your bedroom two walls are better than one when the lamp had been placed on the table and they found themselves seated face to face in that bare faded bedchamber pierre noticed that the secretary was suffering from a more violent attack of fever than usual his thin puny figure was shivering from head to foot and his ardent eyes had never before blazed so blackly in his ravaged yellow face are you poorly asked pierre i don't want to tire you poorly yes i am on fire but i want to talk i can't bear it any longer one always has to relieve oneself some day or other was it his complaint that he desired to relieve or was he anxious to break his long silence in order that it might not stifle him this at first remained uncertain he immediately asked for an account of the steps that pierre had lately taken and became yet more restless when he heard how the other had been received by cardinal sarno monsignor fornaro and father d'angeles yes that's quite it he repeated nothing astonishes me nowadays and yet i feel indignant on your account yet it doesn't concern me but all the same it makes me ill for it reminds me of all my own troubles you must not rely on cardinal sarno remember for he is always elsewhere with his mind far away and has never helped anybody but that fornaro that fornaro he seemed to me very amiable even kindly disposed replied pierre and i really think that after our interview he will considerably soften his report he why the gentler he was with you the more grievously he will saddle you he will devour you fatten himself with such easy prey ah you don't know him delizioso that he is ever on the watch to rear his own fortune on the troubles of poor devils whose defeat is bound to please the powerful i prefer the other one father d'angelis a terrible man no doubt but frank and brave and of superior mind i must admit however that he would burn you like a handful of straw if he were the master and ah if i could tell you everything if i could show you the frightful underside of this world of ours the monstrous ravenous ambition the abominable network of intrigues venality cowardice treachery and even crime on seeing don vigilio so excited in such a blaze of spite pierre thought of extracting from him some of the many items of information which he had hitherto sought in vain well tell me merely what is the position of my affair he responded when i questioned you on my arrival here you said that nothing had yet reached cardinal bocanera but all information must now have been collected and you must know of it and by the way monsignor fornaro told me that three french bishops had asked that my book should be prosecuted three bishops is it possible don vigilio shrugged his shoulders ah said he yours is an innocent soul i'm surprised that there were only three yes several documents relating to your affair are in our hands and moreover things have turned out much as i suspected the three bishops are first the bishop of tarbes who evidently carries out the vengeance of the fathers of lourdes and then the bishops of poitiers and evreux who are both known as uncompromising ultramontanists and passionate adversaries of cardinal bergerot the cardinal you know is regarded with disfavour at the vatican where his gallican ideas and broad liberal mind provoke perfect anger and don't seek for anything else the whole affair lies in that an execution which the powerful fathers of lourdes demand of his holiness 
and a desire to reach and strike cardinal bergerot through your book by means of the letter of approval which he imprudently wrote to you and which you published by way of preface for a long time past the condemnations of the index have largely been secret knockdown blows levelled at churchmen denunciation reigns supreme and the law applied is that of good pleasure i could tell you some almost incredible things how perfectly innocent books have been selected among a hundred for the sole object of killing an idea or a man for the blow is almost always levelled at someone behind the author someone higher than he is and there is such a hotbed of intrigue such a source of abuses in this institution of the index that it is tottering and even among those who surround the pope it is felt that it must soon be freshly regulated if it is not to fall into complete discredit i well understand that the church should endeavour to retain universal power and govern by every fit weapon but the weapons must be such as one can use without their injustice leading to revolt or their antique childishness provoking merriment pierre listened with dolorous astonishment in his heart since he had been at rome and had seen the fathers of the grottos saluted and feared there holding an authoritative position thanks to the large arms which they contributed to the peter's pence he had felt that they were behind the proceedings instituted against him and realized that he would have to pay for a certain page of his book in which he had called attention to an iniquitous displacement of fortune at lourdes a frightful spectacle which made one doubt the very existence of the divinity a continual cause of battle and conflict which would disappear in the truly christian society of to-morrow and he could also now understand that his delight at the loss of the temporal power must have caused a scandal and especially that the unfortunate expression a new religion had alone been sufficient to arm della torres against him but that which amazed and grieved him was to learn that cardinal bergerot's letter was looked upon as a crime and that his pierre's book was denounced and condemned in order that adversaries who dared not attack the venerable pastor face to face might deal him a cowardly blow from behind the thought of afflicting that saintly man of serving as the implement to strike him in his ardent charity cruelly grieved pierre and how bitter and disheartening it was to find the most hideous questions of pride and money ambition and appetite running riot with the most ferocious egotism beneath the quarrels of those leaders of the church who ought only to have contended together in love for the poor and then pierre's mind revolted against that supremely odious and idiotic index he now understood how it worked from the arrival of the denunciations to the public posting of the titles of the condemned works he had just seen the secretary of the congregation father d'angelis to whom the denunciations came and who then investigated the affair collecting all documents and information concerning it with the passion of a cultivated authoritarian monk who dreamt of ruling minds and consciences as in the heroic days of the inquisition then too pierre had visited one of the consultive prelates monsignor fornaro who was so ambitious and affable and so subtle a theologian that he would have discovered attacks against the faith in a treatise on algebra had his interests required it next there were the infrequent meetings of the cardinals who at long intervals voted for the interdiction of some hostile book deeply regretting that they could not suppress them all and finally came the pope approving and signing the decrees which was a mere formality for were not all books guilty but what an extraordinary wretched bastille of the past was that aged index that senile institution now sunk into second childhood one realized that it must have been a formidable power when books were rare and the church had tribunals of blood and fire to enforce her edicts but books had so greatly multiplied the written printed thoughts of mankind had swollen into such a deep broad river that they had swept all opposition away 
and now the index was swamped and reduced to powerlessness compelled more and more to limit its field of action to confine itself to the examination of the writings of ecclesiastics and even in this respect it was becoming corrupt fouled by the worst passions and changed into an instrument of intrigue hatred and vengeance ah that confession of decay of paralysis which grew more and more complete amidst the scornful indifference of the nations to think that catholicism the once glorious agent of civilization had come to such a pass that it cast books into hellfire by the heap and what books they were almost the entire literature history philosophy and science of the past and the present few works indeed are published nowadays that would not fall under the ban of the church if she seems to close her eyes it is in order to avoid the impossible task of hunting out and destroying everything yet she stubbornly insists on retaining a semblance of sovereign authority over human intelligence just as some very aged queen dispossessed of her states and henceforth without judges or executioners might continue to deliver vain sentences to which only an infinitesimal minority would pay heed but imagine the church momentarily victorious miraculously mastering the modern world and ask yourself what she with her tribunals to condemn and her gendarmes to enforce would do with human thought imagine a strict application of the index regulations no printer able to put anything whatever to press without the approval of his bishop and even then every book laid before the congregation the past expunged the present throttled subjected to an intellectual reign of terror would not the closing of every library perforce ensue would not the long heritage of written thought be cast into prison would not the future be barred would not all progress all conquest of knowledge be totally arrested rome herself is nowadays a terrible example of such a disastrous experiment rome with her congealed soil her dead sap killed by centuries of papal government rome which has become so barren that not a man not a work has sprung from her midst even after five-and-twenty years of awakening and liberty and who would accept such a state of things not among people of revolutionary mind but among those of religious mind that might possess any culture and breadth of view plainly enough it was all mere childishness and absurdity deep silence reigned and pierre quite upset by his reflections made a gesture of despair whilst glancing at don vigilio who sat speechless in front of him for a moment longer amidst the death-like quiescence of that old sleeping mansion both continued silent seated face to face in the closed chamber which the lamp illumined with a peaceful glow but at last don vigilio leant forward his eyes sparkling and with a feverish shiver murmured it is they you know always they at the bottom of everything pierre who did not understand felt astonished indeed somewhat anxious at such a strange remark coming without any apparent transition who are they he asked the jesuits in this reply the little withered yellow priest had set all the concentrated rage of his exploding passion ah so much the worse if he had perpetrated a fresh act of folly the cat was out of the bag at last nevertheless he cast a final suspicious glance around the walls and then he relieved his mind at length with a flow of words which gushed forth the more irresistibly since he had so long held them in check ah the jesuits the jesuits you fancy that you know them but you haven't even an idea of their abominable actions and incalculable power they it is whom one always comes upon everywhere in every circumstance remember that whenever you fail to understand anything if you wish to understand it whenever grief or trouble comes upon you whenever you suffer whenever you weep say to yourself at once it is they they are there why for all i know there may be one of them under that bed inside that cupboard ah the jesuits the jesuits they have devoured me 
they are devouring me still they will leave nothing of me at last neither flesh nor bone then in a halting voice he related the story of his life beginning with his youth which had opened so hopefully he belonged to the petty provincial nobility and had been dowered with a fairly large income besides a keen supple intelligence which looked smilingly towards the future nowadays he would assuredly have been a prelate on the road to high dignities but he had been foolish enough to speak ill of the jesuits and to thwart them in two or three circumstances and from that moment if he were to be believed they had caused every imaginable misfortune to rain upon him his father and mother had died his banker had robbed him and fled good positions had escaped him at the very moment when he was about to occupy them the most awful misadventures had pursued him amidst the duties of his ministry to such a point indeed that he had narrowly escaped interdiction it was only since cardinal bocanera compassionating his bad luck had taken him into his house and attached him to his person that he had enjoyed a little repose here i have a refuge an asylum he continued they execrate his eminence who has never been on their side but they haven't yet dared to attack him or his servants oh i have no illusions they will end by catching me again all the same perhaps they will even hear of our conversation this evening and make me pay dearly for it for i do wrong to speak i speak in spite of myself they have stolen all my happiness and brought all possible misfortune on me everything that was possible everything you hear me increasing discomfort was taking possession of pierre who seeking to relieve himself by a jest exclaimed come come at any rate it wasn't the jesuits who gave you the fever yes yes it was don vigilio violently declared i caught it on the bank of the tiber one evening when i went to weep there in my grief at having been driven from the little church where i officiated end of section nineteen